with an emphasis on estate planning, estate administration, elder law, and real property matters. RourkeLaw.com Welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. And coming up, we'll be checking in with Sullivan 180. New developments with Sullivan 180. Patricio Robayo speaks to Denise Frangipani coming up in the second half of the program. And we'll be checking in with Wayne County Live coming up in just a moment. But first, we're going to start off with the latest news from Albany. Advocates for plastic waste reduction in an expanded bottle bill rallied at the Capitol yesterday for the state to reduce excess packaging on retail items by 50% in the next 10 years. By 2033, they say a plan by Governor Kathy Hochul to reduce packaging is falling short. Governor Hochul in her state budget plan proposes reducing packaging waste by 15% over the next 10 years. Environmental groups say that goal is too modest and that the state should instead adopt a bill circulating in the legislature that would require excess packaging on all products to be reduced by 50% by 2033. The Senate sponsor, Rachel May, is also carrying a measure to expand the state's 40-year-old bottle bill to add non-carbonated beverages, wine, and liquor. It would also raise the deposit from $0.05 to $0.10. May spoke to advocates gathered at the Capitol's ornate million-dollar staircase. These bills are common sense. It's just ridiculous that we assume that we're just going to throw things away and they're going to go away. And she says it costs New York money in the form of taxes and payments to private garbage collection companies to pay for waste collection and recycling. It's ridiculous that producers and businesses assume they can just send us massive amounts of junk that we're going to then throw away and our municipalities are going to pay the cost of dealing with the waste and the recycling, which does not pay for itself anymore. Judith Enk, a former EPA regional administrator who now heads Bennington College's Beyond Plastics says the overuse of plastics pollutes the oceans and is also dangerous on land. She says the recent train crash in Ohio, which leaked an array of toxic chemicals and caused a huge fire and mass evacuation, is just one example. The train cars that blew up were carrying liquid vinyl chloride. That's a toxic monomer used to make PVC plastic, number three plastic. It's used to make clear plastic packaging, plastic toys, plastic shower curtains. She says people in Ohio and Pennsylvania are paying the price of the failure to enact packaging reduction rules. Ank and other supporters say they are outgunned and outnumbered by industry giants like the American Chemical Council, the fossil fuels industry, and big supermarket chains, as well as Amazon and McDonald's, all are against the proposal. This is David V. Goliath on steroids. But they are hopeful. They say there's widespread public support for packaging reduction laws and they say the measures are gaining support among lawmakers. The advocates are also asking Hochul to remove the proposal from the state budget so that it can be discussed as a separate issue, and the governor and legislature would have more time to work out the details of a stronger bill. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. And thank you so much to Karen DeWitt and New York State Public Radio for that report. 
This is a local edition. We're continuing now with our first uh, live interview of the evening. And it is Thursday. It's time to check in with Wayne County. And if you remember from last week, if you, well, maybe you weren't here with us last week. So I'll tell you what we did. Uh, we kicked off a series as taxpayers in Wayne County wonder what their money is going towards. This series is going to highlight the county's investment in the community. And we're continuing that series with some of the ways the county's investment in the community touches everyone. Last week, we kicked off uh, with with uh, Wayne County commissioners. And now we're continuing that conversation. And we're joined right now by Amy Kellum, Director of Inmate Services for Wayne County Correctional Facility, talking about the importance of rehabilitation and reducing criminal behavior stemming from unresolved mental health issues and substance abuse. Hello, Amy. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. So, um, yeah, well, let, let's just jump right into that. What are some of the ways that the correctional facility helps uh, folks out? Uh, well, I guess particularly with substance uh, use. Yes. Um, so we work with many of um, the additional services in the county as well. Um, although people are housed in our facility, we're not an island. We're we're constantly working with other agencies and developing those contacts and helping people to identify services that they might need when they get out. Um, so we do work with Wayne County Drug and Alcohol. They typically do uh, an initial assessment when someone comes in who's stating that they have an, an abuse, uh, drug abuse issue. Um, we also provide treatment through PA treatment and healing um, for, for um, outpatient Things as well, and then we also help with identifying people that might be a good candidate for the drug court through Wayne County as well. So that's just some of the things that we do for those with substance abuse disorders. We also work with uh, medication-assisted treatment. That's something that the state and the federal government have been very passionate about to ensure that our the individuals who are using are able to kind of wean off of it and and be able to continue down the road with not with not using you know uh and and you mentioned uh PA treatment and healing path mm-hmm. and longtime listeners to our series uh, the Kingfisher Project information against opioids and addiction uh will remember that that name uh uh that's when I first encountered path was was through the Kingfisher Project you know I was thinking as you were talking I was I was thinking you know I want to ask about because when we cover issues of of addiction here on air and the Kingfisher Project there's a lot of emphasis on uh harm reduction and mm-hmm. and prevention and i was thinking well i'm talking to somebody's involved with uh inmate services that's that's like a little late for prevention but as you explain it it's it's making sense that you are working on prevention you're working on uh preventing people from winding back up inside again yes we are and we're also helping prevent um those catastrophic events for when people come out and they might potentially use again so we do work with the county drug and alcohol to potentially be able to distribute um, Narcan or Naloxone, trying to reduce those those harm those harms because yeah. the the number one rate of mortality with someone using is when they come out of a facility like a correctional facility or a rehab. So we want to make sure that we address that and give them the tools necessary to reduce that likelihood. 
that wow. they might use too much and, and potentially, you know, overdose. And, and that's great to hear because, again, I th- I was just assuming that the, the prevention would be just preventing uh, additional crime or criminal activity. Mm-hmm. You're talking about tragic occurrences that, that, are, that are a real risk to the individuals themselves. Uh, yeah. The health impact and risk of overdose is increased uh, when, when people come out. So, well, good looking out for that. So um, how about another side, something that overlaps with that that we hear a lot about in terms of, of dealing with crime? Substance abuse folks can fall through the cracks, so too with mental health. How do you address individuals with mental health concerns? Yes, yeah, so um, my background actually was in Wayne County Behavioral Health. I worked um, through through them for a very long time. So mental health is more of my kind of bread and butter but we do work with individuals. We assess them when they first walk in the door. They're assessed by, by our intake workers, and then they're assessed by both myself. And um, we have a prison liaison through Wayne County Office of Behavioral and Developmental Programs and Early Intervention. And that individual not only assesses them, but he sees them on almost an administrative case management kind of level. So we are identifying the people that need to have medication management while incarcerated to um, stabilize them. And then we're also looking at trying to set up those services for when they walk out the door so there there isn't a lapse of care. Our hope is to create a good wraparound program for them so when they walk out they know this is my appointment, um, this is who I go to, this is how I apply for insurance and things of that nature. So that's what the prison liaison does um, for those who are identified as that mental health. We also work with, um, you know, setting them up with different services, whether it be through, you know, Wayne Memorial Hospital, through the Homesdale Behavioral Health, or through the Robinson Center. So those are a lot of the, the agencies that we work with. Again, we're not an island. We try and make those bridges to services for individuals who are incarcerated in our facility. And are you actually, you know, able to really deal with those unresolved mental health and substance use issues? So a lot of times what we are doing is we're stabilizing and then we're referring out for when, when, they're, when they're leaving. So a lot of times, you know, individuals in our facility, they're not there for, for long periods of time. They're usually there for, you know, 30, 60, 90 days. So in that time, we try and ensure that we stabilize them, see what they need, holistically as a whole person and not just a person with a drug addiction or a mental health issue, but, you know, do they have enough to ensure that they have good housing? Because if they don't have housing, then they're going to be stressed about something else. So we really try and create a plan for them for when they leave. Our goal is always looking at what can we do to better their situation? Because when they leave, if the people, places, and things aren't changed at all, they're going to be going back to the same routine and potentially coming back to us. Yeah, well, you know, crime doesn't happen in a vacuum. Like, there's there's it's reasons. Not, no. Yeah, there's really You know, the, the individuals we have are, you know, they could be relatives of of our community. You know, they are. They're relatives. They're, they're sons, daughters, you know, uncles, aunts, mothers, fathers. Um, we, we work with every kind of walk of life in our facility. We have people from 18 all the way up to their 60s. It was interesting that you're pointing out that that you're talking about people that are in for a relatively short period of time because again as we're looking at these issues 
Uh, and I'm challenging my own assumptions here because I, I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, when somebody's actually at the point where they're already incarcerated, like it's almost too late to work on these things. But I was assuming that you're talking about somebody who's going to be there for years and years. You're taught, yeah. you're look, almost looking at people like, here's our chance to actually do some help, actually help. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people, we do have people that are there for, you know, longer periods of stay, but the, the typical person that comes in, you know, it, it is for a shorter amount of time. So basically they're in to kind of get their legal situation under control. And I'm sure when you talk to the court system, you know, the public defenders and um, the DA's office, they'll be able to explain that more. But we are almost like the first stop sometimes for an individual to be able to, to get a service. So we're that first point of contact with trying to get them to these providers. Right. Um, you know, uh, um, so what other programming is available uh, to the inmates that you work with? So, like I said, we do work with all the Wayne County Human Service Agencies and some some point in time we have worked with all of them so we have helped you know we've worked with individuals who've had services through children and youth maybe their children are in care and we have to kind of um continue that bond with their children because they're not going to be with us forever so trying to keep that up we also work with aging and transportation and housing but some of the other programs that we have in our facility um, we work with Wayne Pike Workforce Alliance. Um, they help us with job readiness, helping individuals create resumes and to work on their um, interviewing skills. We also work with the education system. If someone's under the age of 21 with an IEP, they didn't finish high school, we work with Wayne Highland School District to at times have that person complete their high school diploma. That's only happened once, but that one person has a high school diploma. You know, it's like a, it's a good feeling that when they graduate. And then we also work with GED services through Northampton Community College, and we also work with Victims Intervention Program. So our facility definitely works with all those providers in the county trying to ensure that we're giving that person the best chance possible while they're with us because we only have them for a short period of time, but we have their undivided attention while they're there with us. You know, Wayne County covers a lot of ground geographically, rural area, um, sometimes sometimes uh, infrastructure and civic services can be a little thin on the ground. The bureaucracy can be a little thin. Sometimes you're talking about a lot of different organizations uh, coordinating. Does being in a rural area, does that make that challenging at all for what you're trying to do? I think it actually helps on some level. Um, I participate in meetings throughout the state. And when I hear other counties talk, they don't know who works in a, in a different area of their local government. The nice thing about being in this rural, small community is that we're able to, I, I'm able to identify who I need to talk to at drug and alcohol. I know her name. You know, I know what she right. looks like. I know right. her number. So we're able to do a lot more with a lot less at times almost where we're able to bring those services together, maybe bring two or three people to the table to try and identify what we can do for this individual. So I think although geographically getting places might be a little difficult, you know, with transportation and that, we're, we're definitely on a better playing field where we have that communication through all of the services throughout Wayne County. So 
all those services that our taxpayers are paying for, we're not only providing that service us to the person, but we're also working with all the other agencies where taxes are being provided, and they're also identifying and helping us in that. Amy, we're going to have to go in just one minute. Is yeah. uh, I guess, the, what's the most misunderstood aspect of the correctional facility that you want folks to know about? I think that um, a lot of times people think that our, the people in our jail are, you know, these hardened criminals, they're there forever, you know, they're going to be there for years, but they're not. They're They're your neighbors. They're, you know, people that you see on the street. They might have just, you know, run down on their luck and they ended up with us, but they're still human beings and they still, you know, really need that, just that help and support when they come out back to the community. All right. Well, we've been talking here with Amy Kellum, Director of Inmate Services, Wayne County Correctional Facility, part of our ongoing series about services in Wayne County. Amy, thank you so much for talking to us tonight. Thank you. Have a great evening. You too. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. Sullivan 180. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wall and Poppock, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com From Dog Mountain Lodge Providing dog boarding and grooming Also boarding cats, birds, and other exotic pets Located in Keshekta, New York And on the web at DogMountainLodge.com And from listeners like you This is the local edition news and information Keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania Sullivan 180 is a nonprofit organization focused on improving the health and well-being of Sullivan County, and they're starting the new year with a new direction. Radio Catskills' Patricio Rabio spoke with CEO Denise Frangipani and Managing Director Amanda Langsader about the organization's refined focus on prevention and empowering a healthier generation. Let's start with Denise explaining just what this new direction entails. Sure. So the um, you may have heard of the partnership and the relationship between Sullivan Renaissance and Sullivan 180. And as of June, I'm sorry, January 1st, I'm wishing for summer, it feels like summer. <laughs> as of January 1st, our two teams uh, under the leadership of the Gary Foundation and Sandra Gary have come together um, to work together to focus more of our work on prevention and also to focus on empowering a healthier generation, working in a, in a space that allows us to support and empower and engage young people in Sullivan County, not only from a traditional health perspective, but just in a community health perspective. And I know Amanda will talk a little bit more about our health rankings and how that plays out. But from the program perspective, we are really taking all of our efforts, our grant programs. Um, we're still offering grant programs that were available through Sullivan Renaissance, and we're still very active in schools through the 180 Empowering a Healthier Generation program. So we've just taken two organizations uh, and two teams, brought them together, and, um, and really focused our work, but also our very collaborative with our partners because we know that there's so much work. And one of the reasons we were created in the very beginning was because 
there is so much work that's happening, and one of our main mission and goals is to bring resources into Sullivan County to support the work that's already being done by so many of our partner organizations. And that's a really important point that we want to make sure we continue to emphasize, is that um, we're here to support existing work, but also to look at where work is not yet happening that we can be creative. Yeah, absolutely. Sullivan Renaissance and Sullivan 180 both had existing steering committees and um, advisory boards, boards of partners, stakeholders, organizations across Sullivan County that had committed to uh, our, our missions, you know, our missions of both beautification and community health. And really now we're just focusing in on community health and the health of the next generation. It's, it's, uh, it's great because there were so many times that our projects were colliding or we wanted to be at the same meeting or in the same space or at the same event because uh, all of this helps uh, all, all of this works in collaboration. It doesn't need to be done separately. So we're, we're really thrilled with the opportunity to work uh, more closely as one organization, one combined team, and serving the greater good of Sullivan. Absolutely. We're rated or ranked second to last in health rankings, according to the latest health rankings that came out with the Robert Wood Foundation. And we have a new, we're in a new year. And I'm sure that Sullivan 80 now was formed with Sullivan Renaissance has new programming coming out. What can you tell us about any new programs that are, that will be available this year? Well, we have, um, our prior programs, our grant programs. So we're still working in the area of beautification, uh, and, and really care of public spaces. Uh, we're still doing municipal partnerships. As I mentioned, we're still, we have a very strong Empowering a Healthy Generation program that's working in every public school building in Sullivan County. So we've built a team working with the um, school community and the, and the staff at our local schools to engage young people. Uh, so there, so much of what we're doing is actually very familiar. And I think uh, we're adding some more workshops and, and some more um, seminars and trainings that we can offer to the community. I want to share that, you know, we're so thrilled about the support we're going to get in terms of volunteer recruitment and engagement. Um, Renaissance was just a, a master at doing grassroots volunteer engagement, really um, getting folks interested in their own communities and being able to uh, create those beautiful projects. Well, we need that same approach towards community health. We need all of those incredible vibrant volunteers, the people living and working and playing in their communities to help us with this because you are exactly right. There is no one organization, there is no one person that can solve being county number 61. It takes all of us and it takes everybody bringing to the table what resources they have uh, and and really the, the volunteer piece is where we're excited about how this is going to change in 2023 and I will just you know, put the charge out there. If you're somebody out in the community and you want to be a part of changing that number and of empowering the health of the next generation, please reach out because we would love to get you engaged as a volunteer. One question I had about the merger of Sullivan eighty Sullivan Renaissance. I know, Denise, you mentioned it already, but what happens to those grants, like the beautification grants that the towns and villages do every year? What happens to those community grants? Sure. So, those grants are still available. So in beautification, we've always had um, an interest in engaging young people. So we're, we're really ramping that up. We have an internship program, which provides work opportunities for young people. So we are still working with grants for the care of public spaces, which is beautification. Uh, we acknowledge that the care of public spaces does contribute to community health. 
So when we when we talk about health, we think about it very broadly because we're not health we're not service providers. So we're thinking about health from a from a, a very broad perspective. Um, and so care public spaces and having healthy community spaces, outdoor spaces, the rail trails. We work with the uh, Sullivan O and W Rail Trail Alliance and our municipal program. We're working closely with our municipalities to look at what are they offering for young people in their communities. And so those grants will allow now for different programmatic initiatives to come out of our, our municipalities. We have 21 municipalities in Sullivan County, and they're all working hard to offer something for young people. So we want to get behind that and support that effort so our young people have resources and opportunities within their own communities and that they can enjoy. So those programs are, are, are changed a little bit, but we're, we're still working very closely with the volunteers. We've met with our volunteers and, and shared the focus. Um, they're excited about it. I think uh, everyone can see a place for themselves, although we say we have a focus on youth uh, and the next generation is part of our, our, our focus for this coming program year and going forward. Everyone can be involved with helping to influence the health of the next generation. And improve our own health while we do it. We have the Community Health Improvement Plan, and this is really a collaborative effort between the county, between Public Health, Cornell, Garnett, Sullivan 80, Prasad, so many organizations that came together to create this improvement plan. Can you explain a little bit exactly what this Community Health Plan is all about and how is Sullivan 80 implementing the suggestions in it? Amanda? Sure. So, this happens every three years. Every three years, health departments and hospitals are required to go through a community health needs assessment process. And that's really making sure that they are listening to their community, that they are looking at the, the data, um, you know, whether it be based on chronic disease or substance use disorder, um, it, you know, emergency room admissions, hospital usage, healthcare usage, barriers to uh, having healthcare providers or healthcare um, access, all of that. It's it's a very large and complicated process that epidemiologists and county health departments and university researchers support, but uh, we, we get this incredible community health needs assessment, and that really guides and informs the next step, which is a community health improvement plan. And so Selvin 180 has worked closely for several years with our county health department and Garnet Health to support the strategies and interventions that are chosen in that community health improvement plan. So what that means is that not everybody across the county is deciding what it is they're going to do to promote health and do something different, but that we, we select a couple of strategies and really focus a lot of eggs in that particular uh, strategy basket for, for an easy way of explaining it. So if we are all trying to eliminate sugar-sweetened beverages, we're all going to look at the same policy that we can adopt in our workplace, in our school, uh, in our hospital, that we can do something like that to really um, you know, tackle that issue. Or maybe it's um, smoking and vaping. If we are all looking at that issue, we're looking at a policy that's going to help us create smoke-free grounds and, and places that are um, safe for our kids to breathe while they're playing out in parks and spaces like that. So the Community Health Improvement Plan is really very important to all of the organizations that do any work in, in that space of health, uh, particularly reducing chronic disease and reducing substance use disorder and mental health disorders. So it's, it's just very important that we're all looking at that same plan and working on the, the same strategies. And that's what we're doing. 
Absolutely. I see in just an executive summary that there have been some uh, improvements. One was premature death from cardiovascular disease. Uh, another one was, I believe, teen pregnancy. I'm not sure if it says it was decreased or increased, uh, but there are, have been changes to that particular category. That's exactly right. Yeah, we have to look at our local statistics. Actually, teen pregnancy, I do believe, has gone up a little here in Sullivan. So there's some some things that are, uh, you know, are changing nat- nationally, but perhaps not changing as fast as we'd like them to here in Sullivan. There's a reason our logo for Sullivan 180 is a turtle, and hopefully uh, those of us that have seen our new uh, brand and our, of course, our press release that went out, you'll notice that, and that's very intentional because this is this uh, is a slow, steady, intentional process. And uh, it's going to take a little while. So it's not going to happen overnight, but there's lots of us that are committed to this for the long haul, and uh, and we will do it together. Absolutely. It didn't happen. We didn't get here overnight. So it's going to take a while for things to change in the other direction. Our founder, Sandra, reminds us of that every time we speak, that you know, it didn't happen overnight. We didn't get here overnight, and it's going to take us time and effort to get back on track. Yeah. Absolutely. We were talking to Denise Fragipane, the Chief Executive Officer for Sullivan 80, and Amanda Langsider, the Managing Director for Sullivan 80. Thank you so much for joining us on the programming and letting us know this new focus that Sullivan 80 has. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Robayo. Thank you, Patricio, and best of luck to Sullivan 180 on their new direction. Of course, we'll be following what they're up to and we'll keep you connected to that as well it's what we do here it's the local edition but tonight it's over we will be back tomorrow patricio will be back tomorrow evening for his friday edition of the local edition listen on air online on your smartphone or on your smart speaker and make sure you never miss an episode of the local edition sign up for the local edition podcast wherever you get your podcast from it's the local edition from radio catskill This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello, Public Radio for the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. It's time for Ramble Tamble. I will let you know that it's cloudy with occasional rain for the overnight with a low of 44. Rain should end on the early end tomorrow and looking at a high of around 30 and uh, some wind. Could be some wind tomorrow.